I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Question Everything listeners. This podcast is recorded during the coronavirus lockdown. So it's recorded remotely. Hope you still enjoy it. Keep listening. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, and my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer, hello, pose the questions that need to be asked. We're talking everything from philosophy, sociology, to economy, to why are werewolves called werewolves, but it's spelt with like without an H? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. And how come there's werewolves, but What's is the is a, a female wolf a vixen or is that just foxes? I don't think I've ever seen a female werewolf actually. Good, good. This is what I mean. Where's the equality? Where are the trans werewolves? Is what I'm asking. They'll probably exist somewhere. Twilight, Twilight, basically. We ask all the we ask all of the questions. All the important questions. Uh, if you uh, have any questions, please feel free to get in touch with us on Dame Baptiste Questions mm. Everything. We're on all your good social networks. And if you enjoy the podcast, please do leave some feedback and let us know how you feel. And if you want to listen to other episodes, you can find us on Acast as well as iTunes. Mm. That being said, I would like now like to welcome our guest. Our esteemed guest is a. Uh, Suffice to say, a rising star in the comedy industry, originating from Liverpool. He's the winner of Dave's Best Joke of the Fringe and the Liverpool Comedian of the Year. He has completed two hugely successful solo tours, Unbearable and Undeniable, and has toured with the likes of Jason Manford and Bill Burr. Me too. We're not bragging, we're just saying. I am. (laughs) (laughs) So you should. So you should. He made his TV debut on the stand-up sketch show on ITV2, and his online stand-up material has racked up over 50 million views across various platforms. If you don't know what I'm talking about yet, what is wrong with you? It is the salt of the earth and the salt in the wound of the mediocre comedian, Mr. Adam Rowe. What's happening, bro? Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. Welcome, welcome. Um, on the werewolf thing, yeah. you, and it should have a H in it. What if it's like meant to be an abbreviation and it's just we are wolves? That could be it as well. Maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> or was it we were wolves and then became more humanoid and it kind of evolved? So we're like the yeah. between human and wolf. They're not a wolf. There's someone who was a wolf. They're a werewolf. Yeah. I, I don't I mean, know why. Why would there be a H in it? Because I guess for the pronunciation of where, but then. But then the other two are also pronounced. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, I'm not. My parents aren't from this country, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've already, play. we've already got it. The, the, the thing about we started talking about werewolves because of um, Werewolf in London, right, uh, Dane? That that film, I mean, all time classic, right? It was a great film. I mean, at first I wouldn't have gone for it because I found it to be quite. Uh, Quite scary. I never was big on horror films as a child, but then I'm I, it was, still not. Yeah, I mean, as a comedian, I tried to err on the side of like comedy rather than tragedy. Mm. But like, I guess I kind of grew up at one point. I think there were two, two things that got me over horror films. One summer I spent in the states in New York for 
I was there for like a couple months and me and my cousin basically watched every horror film that was going. So I saw all the Hellraiser films, all the Friday the 13th, all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, everything Stephen King had made. And I was good to go from that. And then one time when I'm a dad, I was like, dad, you watch this stuff, aren't you scared? And he was like, you ever paid a mortgage? That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I, I just, I, I can't watch, like I, what I have to do if I watch a horror film I have to then go and watch another film with like the lead actor in. Yeah, so you can like, right? Like, like, that's like, it's like, a, yeah. it's like, a, um, it's like a, what do you call it? A, uh, a nightcap. So it's like I can sleep at least if I watch something else, just to like, you know, decompress. Yeah, look, he's in that, so he's not just that. Like, have you seen the Mothman prophecies? Oh my god, that's horrible. See? Yeah, that sounds, that terrifying film. Oh man, what's you the guy who's the who's the lead in that? Indiana Jones. What's his name? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. I had to go and watch something else with Harrison Ford and be like, oh, look, yeah, he's he's Indiana Jones. He's not. Oh, well, if you don't like seeing Harrison Ford being unkind, do not watch What Lies Beneath. That was crazy. Mm. Yeah, no, I j- I'm just not a horror film guy. I, I watched Hostel when I was a kid, but that's more gore than horror anyway. Yeah, isn't yeah it? Hostel was like when Saw started the whole gore porn thing. Mm. It was like a bit much. I mean, I, the thing is, I mean, I found that a kind of like anti-European propaganda because, you know, first Hostel 1, 2 and 3 came out. Then we had Brexit. Coincidence? Completely. <laughs> yeah, they're massively linked. Yeah, those two are massively linked. I'm just saying, you know, a lot of Americans, if you if they were to watch Taken and Hostel, they wouldn't be that keen on travelling to the Eastern Bloc. It's a fair point. Not really painted in a very nice light. I think we're going to get on with a question. Should we have a question, Dane? It's, 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 it, that is the basis of this show. We've been, we've been doing house calls for the last couple of weeks, but we're going to go back to the format of the show now with, uh, with classic questions. That's right, because we've got, we've got a classic comedian, a purist, so we wanted to go for a pure steak, Adam, so thank you so much for coming. Mm. That's right, look at him, drinking that full-fat Coke like a real man. Like- <laughs> oh, mate, like my diet at the minute, Fuck me! It's hard as a comedian. It's hard. oh man, it's so it's so hard. I've been cooking a lot more recently though. It's been uh, that's been cool, I guess. I've I've been trying to sort of have like two meals a day that aren't awful for me, and then the third one I'm just sort of quesera. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's a great way to go. Two out of three. Which back. which which, which meal does it land on most? Is it dinner or do you go from all out breakfast chaos kind of? I'll be honest with you, Howard. It can be any mate. It depends on the, like today. <laughs> after, I'm having junk food today. I'm having a salt and pepper munchie box. If you're not uh, uh, accustomed to this in <laughs> your southern palaces, um, <laughs> we, we have a thing up in up in north um, called a salt and pepper munchie box. So it's it's from a Chinese takeaway, and it's Look, a, Howard. Listen to this. Listen I'm, to this. I'm pumped. I'm really excited. It's a pizza box, right? But it's full. With chicken nuggets, ribs, um, chips, spring rolls, donna meat, onion rings, all sorts of shit like that. And then it's all tossed in salt and pepper seasoning, which is like a Chinese five spicy themed thing. Um, and it's all deep fried and it comes in a pizza box. 14 quid. You get a pot of curry sauce on the side and a can of full fat coke. <laughs> that's all that's left. <laughs> I mean, you need to be sponsored by this deal. You should. Oh, that sounds, it sounds so good, man. I'm just so. I'm just in my, you know, in my late thirties now. I'm lumbered by my family has diabetes, mm. and then lactose intolerant and ah, uh, cardiovascular issues. I'm lactose intolerant. I've never been diagnosed, but it would be a fast diagnosis. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's the worst. It's the worst, Adam. I mean, it's like now that I can afford, like, to do an ice cream, I can do like. Endless, bottomless ice cream or a bottomless frozen yogurt wherever I go now mm. can do Shake Shack in the UK and I can't have it anymore mm. now, see what I do with that is 
Um, I, I, like I, I'm death or lactose intolerance. If I went to doctors and he was like, right, just there's a pot, just go, it go and shit in the toilet and shit into the pot and then bring it back into me. Like the sound that I would make from the toilet, he'd come and knock on the door and be like, I don't need this apple. Like, this is IBS. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you fuck. He's like, um, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but ice cream is something I refuse to compromise on. So I've started having lacto-free milk in my tea and my coffee yeah. whenever yeah, yeah. possible. Um, and trying to avoid lactose as often as possible. But with ice cream, I fucking love an ice cream. If, I'm in, if I go for a pub lunch, me, me dessert, a, a, a Sunday, And do you know what I do? I just have it, and like a man, I shit myself for the next eight hours. I get it. I get it. That's a, that's what a man does. That's taking responsibility. That I like that. You know, a, a that's like having, like having a cigarette. Yeah. Right, look, you have a cigarette, you're gonna be short of breath for a bit. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Exactly. Oh man, I feel your pain, buddy. I feel your pain, but I I admire I admire your responsibility and listen, your courage. Listen, I'd rather die a little bit earlier and enjoy some of it than you know trying to keep totally healthy yeah. and not enjoy Life it. Life is for living, guys. Life is yeah. for living. That's what Ben and Jerry says. Probably I don't know who looks at the tub trying to have some ice cream here. <laughs> uh, Dane, it's probably time for a question, isn't it? Really, as, Indeed, as, as, as the format dictates. Indeed. Again, Adam, thanks so much for coming. So the uh, way we begin the podcast is that we invite our esteemed guests to ask a question, any question, whatever question they want, which we discuss for 15 minutes. And then Howard here will also ask a question. We'll discuss for 15 minutes. And finally, I'll ask a question. We'll do some blah blahs for the ha-has for 15 minutes. Everybody go home. You go shopping. We all have a nice time. Okay. So um, I-, I assume this is going to go out quite soon and we're still going to be on lockdown and stuff. So there's a, a lot of things going on the internet at the minute about how weighing up the economic cost of a lockdown against the lives it will save and whether the lost lives as a result of the economy crashing could be compared to the lives that will be lost from the lockdown. So my question, I suppose, is should we be considering um, letting some people die just so that we can start going back to cinema and shit? It's a big mm. question. It's a it's big, a big question. question. And, 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 and well, Dane, I don't know, you want to kick it off. What, what a question. Um, me personally, uh, I think it's a really good point. I personally feel like a lot of the problems we're dealing with now where we are trying to uh, manage uh, the loss of life economically versus, I guess, socially is because I don't think the framework we already had for our economy works in all cases when you try and match labor to capital. So an easy way of putting that is like, I don't think you can kind of target the effectiveness of a social worker or a caregiver or a nurse based on using like normal methods. Like for example, like a salesperson, you can, you can quantify how effective they are at their job based on how many sales they make and how much money they make. Whereas you can't necessarily quantify the work that a social worker or a nurse does in the same way. I think that's quite where the problem kind of begins. So on the one hand, people are arguing like, you know, we should allow for some, I guess, for some deaths in order for our, to allow the economy to begin again. But I just think there are just certain things that you can't really use economic models to work out. So on the one hand, so so on the one hand, let's say let's say for example, we're like we have to allow for some deaths in order to allow our economy to start again. I just personally think if you have human beings who, for example, would be dealing with the trauma of seeing like mass deaths from viruses, then odds are at some point, even not immediately, that trauma might make people not good at their jobs in the first place. So it, it, we may be saving money to get like our service industry started again, but then you probably have to be paying a lot more for medication because a shitload of people will be on antidepressants or one in psychiatric help. What well, one thing that I read was that, um, and I, I haven't got the figures to hand, but basically the bailout package from Rishi Sunak was about three hundred and fifty billion pounds, mm-hmm. and based on how many people they expect to die, 
minus the amount of people they would expect to die anyway in this period of time mm-hmm. means that the governments are actually valuing human life at the minute at around 1.5 or 6 million pound per person. So for every life they've saved, mm. it's going to cost them one and a half million pounds. Which the insurance companies, the insurance companies wouldn't value it at that. I mean, if you, if you put a, I think uh, someone I know in banking was telling me that the average life in Britain is worth to the insurance companies by about 56 grand or something like that. It's, uh, in, a, in Iraq, by the way, it's worth, um, like someone was telling me it's worth 12 quid, 12 quid. Uh, how, how much the government would value it? Uh, I mean, we, we say all this and again, look, it's like, there are, there are probably very clear and met methods and models by which they are able to quantify human life. But you speak to any person, especially anyone with a shred of humanity or spirituality, you don't be able to put a price on it. And even 1.2 million when you juxtapose that with like the organ market and how much a human heart goes for, or how much a human kidney goes for, like you're probably sitting on, I think it's a minimum of like 14 million worth of organs just in your body. Hmm. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's paying for my shit, mate. Like, yeah. <laughs> but when that, I, I know. Sounds like, Sounds like you got a good intestine. Two parents smoking 40 a day each with the <laughs> fucking windows shut. And I've told you what I've had for me dinner. <laughs> it's true. But you're still here. So, you know, yeah. I would say resonance. There's got to be something in that intestine. <laughs> it's a tough time. It's a tough time. We're asking a lot of questions about our civilization, right? We're, we're looking at it yeah. through a different lens. Um, and, and maybe some of us, you know, I, I think we've probably done that on this podcast before, Dane. I remember um, we had the, the writer and activist George Monbiot on who talked, mm-hmm. uh, really amazing guy, Adam, check him out. And he, he talked about how economic growth uh, has become the the kind of basis for why we live. Like that's like the meaning yeah. of life, really. Is. And, me- and, and measuring well being. So you you measure the success of a society yeah. based on how much the economic growth is. Which now you see how far that concept can go. Is that now we're considering a little mild bit of genocide to justify our economic growth? And, and I would I would say like you know while I understand if if we had three hundred and fifty billion this whole time, I feel like that probably could have been used prior to the outbreak in, you know, strengthening our health service, strengthening people's information about their own hygiene and personal health care. Hmm. And then we wouldn't be having to throw money after the fact because, you know, any member of any center for disease control or health organization will tell you that prevention is better than cure. So there are probably a lot of measures we could have taken, yeah. taken place before that wouldn't have required a stimulus package. And this is always the strange thing about like when you, you look at free market mechanics is that like it's, I personally feel like I, I I believe in the idea of a free economy. I wouldn't say I am a complete like socialist. I do believe in free economy, but at the same time, it's like it doesn't really exist to be honest. And also, it's like I, surely if people feel are healthy and they're happy, they're going to work harder and be more productive. Yeah, but I guess you, I mean I'm not an industrialist, so I don't really know. It. What's quite interesting at the minute is to me is like I consider myself like very left wing. You know, mm-hmm. um, Liverpool as a city is a largely socialist city, certainly Liverpool football clubs, ideologies are rooted in socialism. Um, and I voted for Jeremy Corbyn and would again. Yeah, like, I, understand he, I understand he wasn't successful. I understand the criticism of him. I understand that history will probably look back on him now as one of the worst Labour leaders because he'll be judged on his election results, which were never very good. And yeah. any smear campaigns or perceived smear campaigns at least will be sort of washed away with history. It'll, it just gets boiled down to numbers in the end. Um, 
But I do have a lot of, like we're in a WhatsApp group and I sort of mentioned yesterday that I, I find that Owen Jones lad at times a bit sort of annoying um, because I think there's a lot of people on the left who th- th- there's there's, so, there's no openness to conversation and it comes from the right as well. Yeah. Um, and I think this is showing that more than any other time to me is what's happening now is there's left-wing people going, well... Oh, Jeremy Corbyn was right all along because socialism is now what we're doing. What we're implementing in the country is socialism, where everything's being nationalised. This is a socialist country, and we've proven that in a time of crisis, socialism is the only thing that works. And then there's people on the right going, how do leftists think they're winning this? Why, why would any ideology be right if, if it only works at the time of a fucking global pandemic? Why would that ever be the right way to go? And what's happening and with every sort of major world events at the minute is the right look at it and go, oh, well, we win this one. And the left look at it and go, oh, well, we win this one. And there's just no hmm. reasoning between the two sides. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think, that's the, I think that's the worst thing as well. I think given the nature of the crisis we're dealing with now, I'm kind of so shocked and how stupid people are to still be contextualizing their view of this whole situation along bipartisan political lines. Like, I'm not thinking about what's happening as you know, someone that votes for Labour or someone that's like may have more Republican leanings. It's like this is a humanitarian crisis, which is going to have a bearing on how we live on a global scale. And I genuinely feel like, with the question, with the question being about, you know, do we work on saving humanity or more of humanity or salvaging our economy? I think we need to probably redraft how we uh, interact with both. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a certain level we've gotten to in how we live now which hasn't necessarily worked. You know, in some ways you could argue our over-prescription and our over-treatment of drugs have increased the strength of drugs a lot of the time and our reliance on antibiotics means that now we're in a situation where we don't really know how to deal with it necessarily very well. I think that because we've emphasised on uh, profit over, you know, well-being, where the healthcare industry is concerned, that might be another reason we're in a situation we're in. And then, yeah, the fact that we waste our time squabbling over these things and trying to divide ourselves along political lines when we have a situation that does not distinguish between your political leanings when it's infecting you and who it affects. I just want someone to tell me who's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, mi- I miss like, like this is the way, this is the right thing to do. I just, I hate that like once you're an adult, you, there's, there's, there's people who think they're right. There's people who think they're right. And they're in po- they're polarized opposite, they're polarized opposites of each other. They think they're hundred percent right. And so do they. I just want someone to come in and go, you're all fucking idiots. This is how we do things. And like, like, everything. Like, a, like a teacher authoritarian. Yeah. That's, a, that's a problem. When it becomes authoritarian, <laughs> then we're fucked because this is the, this is the worries that when people are like, you're wrong, you're wrong. Someone just goes, all right, I'm right. We will do what I say. And that, that, that becomes a fear because well, at least you work out Adam, Adults don't know fucking shit. And there's no different to kids being like, I like vanilla. I like chocolate. Everyone likes chocolate on this side of the playground. Everyone likes vanilla. God, I just want them to fucking do us a solid. Just tell us who's, just sort the shit out for us. That's a sign. Send us a sign. I, I, I just think human beings, we should be aware of how duality works and, there's no reason why we can't coexist. I think, and this, and this, and this is, and this question probably brings that. I guess that the semantics of our politics now to do, to is that both parties essentially are made up of civil servants and are supposed to be serving the needs of who their constituents are. Either way, whether you're labour or conservative, whatever. Now we have an issue that affects everybody, irrespective of their political leanings. Now I think we need to arrive at a point where instead of people trying to work on polarization to gain more power. Like we should be like, 
let's prioritize whether you are labor or conservative how we can preserve human life and improve or at least return to a similar standard of living mm. i think squabbling is just wasting more of the time anyway when people are like well i think the problem with what you're saying is that that's not a very conservative thing to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because, like, I, I do feel like leftists and maybe centre leftists would be like, yeah, that's what we should do. And there'll be right-wing people who are like, no, as soon as it's over, we need to get back to, like, fuck everyone else. It's about the economy. And but- Yeah, but a lot of right-wing people now, will, would these are the same people that want their um, earnings to be subsidised by the government. So essentially, they're very socialist in their nature anyway, even though they would profess to prefer capitalism and an open market. If you're taking money from the government as a bailout to supplement your income now, because you don't have an alternate revenue stream, that's pretty socialist as it is. Yeah. In the same way that like, if you, you know, our, our, our banks have essentially been nationalized, but then we don't receive a preferential dividend, even though as taxpayers, we're the majority shareholder. In the same way that like, you know, free economy believes the customer's always right. That's supposed to be like one of the tenets of consumerism, that your customer are always right. And that what you want, our, our demand dictates the supply in in free market economics. But then with government, this would be the only instance whereby the customer isn't always right. So we can ask for something from our government and then we can still be denied, despite the fact that we not only are asking for this as customers, but we also salarize these people. So for me, that's what I mean, I, I think the whole thing needs to be redrawn because as far as I'm concerned, if we're going to bail out banks, that's fine. But until I get my dividend as a shareholder, no bank should be reporting a bonus in the same way that like, if we're going to have privatization, I think that's fine and having a free market, but then there has to be a certain level of regulation. Yeah. I just, me personally, like I said, I, I, don't, I look at these like a comedian and I never really try to consider the sensible ways of it, but it's like a free market should be a free market. So then if that's the case, we want to have a freely free market. Then if Colombia think it's okay to sell cocaine to the, to people in Europe, they should be able to export cocaine to Europe. And people should be able to have that choice whether or not they want to buy it. And they shouldn't be limited by, you know, prohibition laws or custom and excise laws because then we'd have a real free market. Mm. I just think a lot of time, you know... I'll be honest with you, you've looked into this more than I have. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) what I think is that you're right. (laughs) That's right. And I just want to take care of you, Adam. The the thing, though, is that, you know, Dane's points are are, are, are very, you know, insightful when there's there's a lot of depth to them. But the the kind of crux of exactly what Adam was saying, which is, are we going to choose economy over life like as in how many people are you willing to let die for more people to be wealthy and 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 keep you know the economy spinning and keeping us surviving it's it's a difficult question because we are motivated by money you know we all look at i always talk about the hedonic treadmill right dane where i say uh, that whole idea adam is that you no matter how much you're earning and i'm sure you at times in your life you've earned more than you did when you you know at different stages in your life you know you instantly want more right and 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 that yeah. element of our brain we've got to fucking end it because clearly I don't, I don't you know. think it's an element of our brain, though. I think that's, that is a function of, you know, transgenerational and, I guess, global suggestion. Mm. You, We are taught from when we're born, if you don't have money, it's your, that dictates your self-worth. Mm. But I just think that we're just arriving at a point where, while that probably seemed like it made sense and, you know, having money over people makes sense, like, I think it's a difficult question because uh, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Because on the one hand, loss of life for big pharma isn't necessarily that profitable because mm. they make money from people being sick rather than dead. Cool. So they can prolong, so they can prolong, um, you know, the treatment in the same way that like if a soldier dies in war, you just have to send his dog tags home. 
mm. and, a, and it's a coffin and a flag. Whereas if someone gets sick from a biological weapon, then because of the Geneva Convention or because there's a member of your army, you have to take care of that person. Mm. So it makes more sense for you to keep people sick. So, um, so far as like why position letting some people die, I mean, it sounds like something that people would consider to be the, however cold, the most, I guess, efficient step to take. But I just think that people will realize that it's very short-sighted mm. and there are just some things you can't put a price on. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter how rich you are. It's a humanity, it's a humanity yeah. question, really, isn't it? Because, yeah. like, if this was cows, there'd be no lockdown. They'd just be like, oh, let those ones Colin. down. Straight Colin, yeah. Straight. Well, we, yeah have yeah. we seen it? With foot and mouth or BSE. Mm. Yeah. Know. Let those ones die. We're going to go over there. We're just going to crack on. We'll be fine. Um, I, yeah. think it's, I think it's happened with human beings as well. I think in certain parts of the world, mm. there are, you know, we have what are called preventable diseases. It's, there's been a long time where we have very easily in this part of the world been able to prize capital gain over humanity in issues of like, you know, infection and stuff, whether it's like, you know, Ebola or mm. SARS. I just think that now it's on our doorstep and we are open to inf- affliction is why we are um, having these kind of conversations now. So yeah, long- myself personally, I would say that you can't put a price on humanity mm. because without them, you can't really determine prices and function and price and economics don't exist without humanity. That's a creation of ourselves. The the other side of the question that I was asking that I don't think I articulated particularly well at the start of this was like, at the minute, what they're saying is right. X amount of people will die. Mm-hmm. But X amount of people will die if we if we don't shut down, mm-hmm. right? But why amount of why amount of people will die if we shut down because of the economy crashing? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's what lives are we saving here that will cost us lives down the road? Mm-hmm. You know I, I mean, mean, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just cynical. I'm a, I'm only cynical because I just feel that if you can have economic concepts like a bank is too big to fail, then there's no reason why you could not put a, you could put a halt on pricing. You can put a halt on collusion. Let's say you're a company which provides, I don't know, you provide shelter, you provide food or your supermarket, but you provide like low cost food for a particular demographic of society. I think in this case, a government should be subsidizing companies like that. So they don't, they don't have to pass on that markup to their customers. So then, you know, we have, the economy can be suspended. And I personally feel like, as far-fetched as that sounds, we historically, you've had the economies become suspended, whether it's down to hyperinflation or the, like a coup or taking over. So I just think, I think there are ways around this to preserve human life. Yeah. And I don't think economy, for myself personally, is an excuse because uh, America found $2 trillion, despite being in a deficit <laughs> out of nowhere. And our country, you know, despite the fact that women can't have tampons in school, just found $350 billion out of nowhere. Yeah. So. It's, a, it was a, it's an amazing question, Adam. That's a um, really good question. That, and it's like, I mean, I, I guess we're all going to be mulling that one over in these coming months, right? It's, because it's, it's, a, it's a great question that we all hope and pray does not remain topical for too long. <laughs> but yeah. We want them to die soon. Beyond <laughs> <laughs> that. Uh, no, yeah, that's not the message. That's not the message of this show. It's worth pointing out. But, yes, you know, it is. No. Dane Bucky's questions, everything. The, the new official slogan is kill them now, get the cinema back open. Now, I'll tell you, one thing we don't question, Adam, is death and taxes, because those are constants. Death, <laughs> taxes, and Liverpool on penalties in Istanbul. Exactly. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of which, it's time for my question, which which I'm gonna I'm gonna direct at uh, Adam, but I'm sure Dane has uh, as a as a few 
few um, few few thoughts on it because um, I'm a, I'm a Londoner. Uh, Adam, I'm a Londoner yes. and, and and an Arsenal fan. I used to be prouder of that than I am now, but you know that's life. Um, and you know, as a guy who's kind of, I think you represent your your city well. You know, you, you're you're a voice of the city. You know, um, I've got to ask you this question, which is, is is why does it seem that the folk of Liverpool, I mean the people of Liverpool, get so much shit? Uh, from the rest of the country in terms of like the, the, and the obvious example right now is the absolute joy that people were having with uh, the idea that Liverpool aren't going to get the league. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, right, well, I, multi-layered question with multi-layered answers. So first of all, yeah. I think... Um, there's a perception that Liverpool get a lot of shit from the rest of the country. My experience of traveling the country doing stand-up comedy is that the majority of people really like scousers. They've mm. all got a scouse mate. Um, but there's, for a long time, there was this sort of uh, long-held belief of if Liverpool ever win the league, they're going to be unbearable. And then everyone seemed really surprised when we won the league and we became unbearable. <laughs> if you tell you weren't that unbearable, you're you're not unbearable. Is unbearable is when Manchester United do the fucking triple, and you got to hear that from Londoners who have never even been to Greater Manchester. Yeah, <laughs> that's unbearable. So yeah, I think the 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 beef people had with us really was um, that we were we were fulfilling the prophecy that they'd given to us was, which is we were going to be a pain in the ass and mm. uh, very vocal about the fact we'd won it. And obviously we, we got to the point where <laughs> I tell you right now, I, I'm 28 years old, so I haven't even seen Liverpool win the league. Right. Fuck. And, and we've had some real near misses over the past sort of 15 years. Uh, once under Rafa Benitez, once under Brendan Rodgers and last year, obviously literally, uh, Right to the final day with Manchester City. And the Rogers one, the Rogers one was the worst of the three of them, I'd say, because it was such a momen- well, amazing oh, yeah. momentum, amazing momentum you had that season. But um Yeah, because um the Rogers one was the worst one because it was in our hands and we let it slip. Mm. Um, la- yeah. <laughs> Last year's wasn't quite as bad because first of all, we felt like we shouldn't have been in the race in the first place. It was a surprise mm-hmm. uh, that we managed to play that well for so long, as well as getting to a Champions League final. Um, and, you know, to put 97 points on the board and not win it, you go, well, you're just playing against one of the best teams that's yeah. ever lived. Yeah. The one that's going to hurt more than any if they cancel it is this season mm, because yeah. we won it. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, do you know how far ahead you have to be 
as a Liverpool fan, after watching all those failures <laughs> to be confident you're going to win it. Do you know how long it took? It took us to be 22 points clear before Liverpool fans started going, might actually be our fucking year this, you know me. <laughs> 22 points is eight games worth of points. We had yeah, to be yeah. eight games clear of second place before any of us were like, I might start getting excited soon, you know, like next week. I, might- I like it. I like it. That's what I like about Scousers, you know. And then, being like, the reason we started getting excited is because it was beyond the realms of possibility yeah. that we could be stopped. There's nothing that could stop us. Then, two days into 2020, Donald Trump tried to, tried to start World War Three with fucking Iran. That, and then that got put to a stop and we were like, even World War couldn't stop us. Nothing's going to stop. We're going to win the league. We're going to win the league. And now you're going to believe us. Oh, the coronavirus coming. Oh, we, we had Ebola. We had SARS. That, that went away after the week. We're going to win the league. We're going to win the league. Oh, we're going to play games behind closed doors. That's fine. We only need two more wins. As long as we get those two out the way, no one can ever take it away from us. We're going to win the league. We're going to... Mikel Arteta's got it. Fuck you. What? <laughs> Why? No! No! The thing about it, no, Adam, is, 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 is to me, it's more than just the club. I mean, obviously, Liverpool Football Club, you know, people get a tar- target of a lot of abuse, but it's, 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 the, it's the people of Liverpool. I swear I have, to you, Londoners... I have a theory. Get... I, have a, I have a theory about this. Come it's on. the parochial nature of it, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I, I feel like it's the whole, the whole calm down... So Harry Enfield, Harry Enfield's introduction to Scousers was uh, via Harry Enfield, right? Um, But then, so then, you know, people were kind of drew their conclusions about you know the typical Scouse pit. My theory is, I think, because I only became aware of like negative uh, connotations about Scousers after Hillsborough, and I really feel like a lot of the mainstream media and tabloids created an entire narrative about Scousers in order to kind of discredit them. Because of, you know, because everyone, uh, obviously, which is very true, because of the uh, the police neglect and the incompetence that led to the loss of so many lives, I think when they uh, when those charges were brought and the account, the quest for accountability was brought to like the police, uh, and I've seen it before. I think this became a large campaign to discredit the city of Liverpool. You know, just to I think the investigation, and I think the I whole think um, I think the Hillsborough uh, disaster sort of. The reporting of it and what followed uh, literally divided the opinion on the city of Liverpool into two very black and white camps of, yeah. uh, oh, of course they did it, fucking loud Larry Scousers. Uh-huh. And then there's the other side, which is what an amazing city. Yeah. Look what they've done. Because, like, I, it's easy for me to say this because I'm biased because I'm very proud as a scouser and to be from Liverpool. If that was Aston Villa or Birmingham, I'm not sure as a city they've got the parochial us against them attitude yeah. that it has taken to take on the sun and take on the government and take on the police hmm. and fight for 30 years to get as much justice as possible, which we still haven't got for people who, you know, were essentially unlawfully killed. Um, You can't use the term murdered, but they were unlawfully killed. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Like, this is, I think if Liverpool were given an independence referendum, they'd probably vote to leave the UK. (laughs) Like, I know that seems insane because economically it would be an absolute fucking suicide. Um, But I do think Liverpool would be like, yeah, we'll be all right on our own because 
the, I, I've said for a while, and I only found this out recently, I've said for a while that I think the three most similar cities in the UK are Liverpool, Newcastle, and Glasgow. Right, they're very, very similar in terms of their identity, the way yeah. they act, a proper working class roots, yeah. um, and a, a, a massive distrust and disenfranchisement from central government. Yeah, and out recently, that of all the major cities in the UK, the three lowest funded from central government are Liverpool, Newcastle, and Glasgow. That's not a coincidence. That's amazing. Not at all. It can't, it, I, it's definitely not a coincidence. And I think <laughs> I think that's the other thing as well is that. Uh, because of the disenfranchisement you're describing, that at large it would have been at the hands of like you know the Thatcherite government, yeah, so government stuff. I think. Well, Thatcher know. literally said in an in an in a fact in a memo that she wanted Liverpool to be left to rot. Yeah, she 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 literally said in in a memo, look, we don't win votes, that they're never going to vote for the Tories in Liverpool, so starve them of economy. Let's take all the work away from their docks. Let's take all the way exactly. work away from their industry. Move it around the country and leave Liverpool to just die a death because yeah. we don't need them. They're never going to vote for us. So why? What? What's the point in us giving? Yeah. There's yeah. nothing we could give them to make them Tory voters. Hmm. So what's yeah. the point? And also portray them as being like you know lazy and like and and uh, you know with a propensity to criminality and stuff. And so you know you hear stuff like oh if you leave your car parked in Liverpool you come back and it's on bricks and. Hmm. Yeah, I've always I've always had a good time in Liverpool. People seem very nice, and because uh, you come on the train. <laughs> 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 but the thing, the thing that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing that I was thinking, though, listening to you talk, Adam, is 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 obviously we're three men here, and 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 you know, so much of our landscape of opinion is is. Is you know a lot of it is male you know male skewed right not just us three but just the the population generally because the the world was so dominated by men for so long even when it wasn't it it was you know and 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 the role of something like football I mean I, I'm I'm a I, you know Dane I know you like a bit of football you're not an obsessive fan but you like a bit of football I'm I'm a pretty obsessive Arsenal fan to the level that you know I probably read the news about them every day I don't want to watch all the games because we're usually quite shit so uh, I don't really want to watch them but I, I'm always knowing what the score is and and and, and how that dictates. Uh, our place in the kind of the you know the, how mad we are about fucking football. It means that to how me. How dare you describe <laughs> yourself as an obsessive fan who doesn't watch most of the games? I can't cope with oh, it. I can't no, cope no, with no, it. No, 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 no. It's no, my anxiety, no, Adam. No, my anxiety. No, 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 no. You can't be an obsessive football oh. fan who avoids watching football. <laughs> Have you seen Nicholas Bentner play football? Have you? <laughs> Mate. Have you seen Marwin Shamak on a pitch? Mate, look, you're talking to the wrong fucking person here, okay? <laughs> you're only just going through your horrible dry spell now. I had to watch the Invincibles and the big Camps and Vieira. I had to era. watch all those Arsenal teams. Do you know who we had lining up for Liverpool? We had um, central midfield of Christian Poulsen and Jay Spearin. <laughs> we had Milan Jovanovic on the left wing, Albert Riera on the right. Neil on goal, Milan Barros and Neil Meller up front. Jimmy Traore at left back. Are you are you taking the fucking piss? Oh, Kachesky played for Liverpool. Javinho, Javinho, end it there. No, look, I mean, I'm, look, I'm not. It's not that I don't want to watch. Pascal Sagan. Don't, he he's a Premier League fucking winner. <laughs> <laughs> You can't tell me it's hard to 
watch Arsenal. Oh, now we see your politics, Adam, bro. Now we see your politics. Yeah, and then hard line. Until Roy Hodgson has managed your football club, you've got fucking nothing to complain about. <laughs> my, Adam, my, my, point, my point about watching the games, Adam, is, is that I find it so stressful. I've ultimately decided that it's better for my existence to not watch them because I get, get, get so fucked off watching it. It's, I've had to well, stop then you're watching. Not, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But you're not an obsessive football fan. Well, there's different ways to be obsessive. <laughs> I read so much... Arsenal news on my phone every day I feel like I've got a disease you know what I mean like if the game's on and I'm not watching it then I will be checking my phone constantly to see the score so it's kind of pathetic but anyway my point about Liverpool is that it the the the, the success that, that you guys had for so long I think influenced a load of predominantly blokes to hate Liverpool and all everything to yeah. do with it because oh. of the success well, you say yeah. that. One thing I'll say, though, definitely, is that Liverpool was definitely popular amongst the diaspora. Like, for a long time, uh, Liverpool was the black man's team in the UK. Yeah. yeah for a real long time. Um, <laughs> which some people found very strange because I guess there obviously is some, I mean, on all terraces, but historically, there's some racists from Mercer. But then, yeah, I'd say definitely with the presence of like John Barnes and all, like, Liverpool is definitely the go to teams, for especially any black man north of like mm. Birmingham. And then it changed uh, to Ar- it changed Arsenal took Arsenal, over a lot of it. Arsenal, right? Arsenal for guys down south, and then and then Man United for people that don't really like football. Can I just put into perspective this obsessive football thing because it is going to bug me for the rest of the time. That you've that. Um, I'm really glad. I'm really glad. <laughs> so, um, before this all got shut down, Liverpool were on track to win the Premier League at home against Crystal Palace oh, on yeah. Saturday, the 21st of March, a 5.30pm kickoff. Okay? That was when we were meant to play Crystal Palace at Anfield, Saturday, the 21st of March. Now, I had a tour date scheduled that night in Bristol. Okay? It sold quite well. We'd sold uh, just over 100 tickets uh, in like 150-seater with like two weeks still left to go. I contacted my agent and told them, if Liverpool are still on to win the league... On that day, when that comes around, there is no chance on <laughs> fucking earth no that way. I'm going to Bristol. Wow. Even I'd be in Liverpool for that. Yeah, I was like, look, I can't be in Bristol and on the way to Bristol while that's happening for the first time in 30 years at home. I said, I know it's unprofessional, but I feel like my fan base, my fans know how obsessive I am with Liverpool. Contact them all, give them a refund and say, look, really sorry, here's a refund. I'll even pay their booking fees back out of my own pocket. I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to Bristol if we're winning the fucking league. <laughs> that is yeah, committed. I mean, I would, committed. You, I would... keep, you keep reading a few tweets, Howard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? You, you probably experienced a similar thing to me in this lockdown which is re-watching great clips of your club on, on YouTube I've watched Liverpool beat Barcelona 4-0 last year about a hundred times <laughs> it's a great one it was a great one I too I, I get it I mean I've, I've just become cynical like I said I'm happy to say I'm an armchair Arsenal supporter when we sold uh, Robin Van Persie to Man United and in return for our troubles got Mikel Silvestre I was like, well, I'm, I can't, I shouldn't even use pronouns like we anymore. These people, I don't care about what I want. I'm mm. tired of Arsenal have been pillaged by Man United recently, yeah. like in recent history, haven't they? Like again oh, and again, true. Van Persie as well. Oh, the one, one, he won them the Sanchez, I know he became shit at United, but Sanchez, that was a big loss at the time. Yeah, oh. a massive loss at the time. He won us two FA Cups and then Van Persie won um, Man United the league that year after Paul Scholes kind of retired. And what did we get? Mikel Silvestre and 
Mikatarian. Yeah, yeah, not a great so, yeah. deal. Yeah, do you know what I mean? That's that's why I don't get too involved, Adam. I'll do my tour show if it was me. I don't care if Arsenal got uh, they, if they if they're in a Champions League final, like you yeah. said. Until I see the trophy in someone's hand, I'm still working. Yeah, because I was there with my friend taking a day out. I remember canceling a date and ordering Pizza Hut to watch Arsenal win the final with Barcelona. Oh, that was painful. That was and painful. you know what? At the end of that game, I felt Letty! The yeah, I felt the same way that Thierry Henry felt after that. I was like, Do you know what? I love you guys, but I gotta take care of myself yeah. and put my own happiness yeah. first. There's gotta be balance, balance in the it's world. Be balance. Um, well, that was my question. Thanks for um, I enjoyed Adam's uh, Adam's answer and Dave's. I think you guys should get it. I think you should. I think you should just get an honorary. The honorary. I don't league. want us to just get it. I want to play two more games. See, Adam, I this is the problem. I'm. I'm putting on a plate for you and you guys are still not satisfied. <laughs> no, because I don't want... Because it's not you I'm worried about. It's fucking Freddie Quinn and every other Man United fan. They were like, yeah, yeah I know you got the trophy, but you didn't actually, it mathematically it wasn't certain. And we all know that Liverpool have bottled things before. And I can't be bothered with those people. Fair. That's that's fair. the problem. Right, fair enough. Fair, that's fair, fair enough. Fair. Um, Dane, it's over to you for your question. Uh, the final question of the show. Cool. Well, um, I hope by now uh, listeners and watchers uh, get a good idea for uh, what kind of comic Adam is. As I said, is a purist, uh, mm. minimalist, no frills, no bells and no whistles, just straight funny all day, straight talking. Um, with that being said, um, as you all know, we are in the midst of a global biological crisis. Now, a lot of time, Adam, people uh, in these instances, I'm going to be kind of like, I guess, philosophizing about Apocalypse. You have like desert island discs and things that you were taking to the new world or what things you couldn't live without in a bunker. But because you're Adam Rowe, and I know that you will answer this question in an unabashed fashion, my question is, you know, normally people are like, what are the three things that you couldn't live without on a desert island? Yeah. What I want to know, Adam, is what are three things in the entire world, you don't necessarily have to own them, that you want to see gone forever once we're off of lockdown? In the new corona-controlled world, what are three things you're like, I don't ever want to see this again? Um, British comedians um, talking about how we've just had the 2012 Olympics. They're, they're gone now. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a big amount? Is that a big amount of comedians? Uh, it, do you know what? There's a handful maybe two hands full who are still going on stage in 2020 going, so we had the fucking Olympics in fucking land and now it's fat. No, there's been another Olympics since then and now I cancelled one. Why do you have to be be a southern accent, Adam? You know, there's hacks up north too. No, not as many. No, there's not. There's more of us here, that's all. Yeah, 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 sure. Play the numbers game. Um, Yeah, look. Comics who've been doing outdated material. Right. Yeah, can I say, are they, are they in the same glut of people that say stuff like, and you know, I was so ugly as a child, even my priest wouldn't molest me. <laughs> <laughs> Just if you've been doing a joke that was topical and you've now made it not topical and you've been doing that for, I don't know, five or 10 years, use this six months to write a new five. Yeah, update yourself, man. Like, no more Rachel Stevens jokes. Even S Club Junior is too old for you now. (laughs) That's a good one. You know what you're thinking? I look like that guy from that show that finished in 2002. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You you look like Taggart. Yeah, yeah. What's Taggart? (laughs) (laughs) If you look like Taggart and you're not Taggart, you better be funny, though, to be fair. (laughs) 
that's, a good, that's a good one though. That's a good, that's a oh, good start. Good that's a good start. Yeah. It's just, been, that's what's been on my mind today. I'm in a, I'm in a, a venomous yeah, so mood. Any happy, happy comedians uh, with dusty references, please get rid of the old joke book. More new dusty jokes. references. Oh, I can't tell you how much I'm going to use that and not tell you that I've stolen it from you. Um, <laughs> dusty references. I like that. I'm going to throw one in and it's, and it's not as funny. I'm going to throw one in that I definitely get rid of, which is the fucking, <laughs> the, the, the tabloid press, like particularly, and I'd include in that Piers fucking Morgan, who I can, I mean, I just cannot, tolerate any longer being he's an Arsenal supporter too though Howard that's so fine right we'll lose him terraces. we'll lose him I'll lose him from the Emirates that's fine I can't I can't tolerate it anymore it's just at this time in history as well it feels like it's just indecent I've not paid much attention to his, his uh, narrative and or editorial of late in this crisis. What's he been saying in a nutshell? Well, uh, you might have noticed he's become like pro-immigration. Yeah, it's really quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> he, like he, he's he's been sort of like uh, as basically a son apologist, but like yeah. Johnsonite Tory on yeah. the belly for years. For years. For years. And now he's like, well, do you know, it's time that we recognise that there's a lot of immigrants who work for the NHS and we'd be quite happy for them to be here forever. And you're like, hang on a fucking minute. Yeah, but I get it. I get it. This is what happened before that conversation. He had a phone call and the po- and his cleaner said, I sorry, Mr. Pierce, I can't come in and clean house. <laughs> what do you mean you can't come? I need your help, Velda. Mm. I'm so sorry, Mr. It's, it's lockdowns. I can't come. I'm sorry. He's like, um, nah. In your head... Where is she from? <laughs> I try to keep it. I try to keep it relatively generic, so that everyone can draw their own conclusions. <laughs> that way, by me not taking a standpoint on the accent, I alleviate myself of any suspicion. In the same way that, like, when American black Americans do like a Jamaican accent, and mm. like, I don't know if you saw Cool Runnings. Mm. What a fucking shit show! Yeah, but you keep it relatively islandish. So that was me. That accent was the equivalent of like a white person being at a resort with like beads at the bottom of their braids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love a questionable accent, to be honest with you. And on our podcast, that I'll, I'll plug at the end. But there's quite a few of them, to be honest with you. And we have a rule, which is if you either don't tell them where it's supposed to be from, it's not offensive. Or if you just tell them it's from somewhere completely different, the only people who can actually get offended are people from the place you pretend in that it's actually meant to be from. So Sometimes I'll do an accent that I say is Geordie, and you can't argue with me. I'm doing my best. Um, <laughs> and it might be a part of, of you know, just outside of like Tyneside that I've never been to. That's what I always do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Also, have you been to lower, lower Newcastle, lower Southwest Newcastle? No. Nope. Well, then that's where it's from. <laughs> that particular cul de sac in Gateshead. That's why it sounds that way. If you know, you know. <laughs> Piers Morgan, my main problem with Piers Morgan, I would say, is that I feel a lot of the time there are a lot of uh, ideologues and people or pundits that you see on TV who that's their role. They want to be outraged porn stars. They want to entice the Tut Tut Brigade. And that's that's what they do. And whereas Piers Morgan seems to be a lot more of a learned man. And at one point, when he originally printed the photos, you know the photos that got him fired from, which newspaper was it? it Daily Mirror. Right. So he got fired from the mirror because he put um, fake pictures of uh, abuse from soldiers in Abu Ghraib. And for me, it seemed like he had a soul then because he was obviously concerned about the atrocities that were being committed supposedly against uh, insurgents. Uh, and also he's been very outspoken about gun control. Mm. And then for some reason, I don't know if he got pulled into a room 
after Max Clifford died and someone was like, you see that? That could be you, my G. And then he was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, the foreigners. The problem is there is no sort of control. <laughs> Uh, it's a nice it's sad, theory. It's that that and also when Piers Morgan uh, made this commentary about the fact that uh, he thinks men that wear like papooses or men that carry their kids in pouches are effeminate and they're not real men and they're not alpha men. Mm. And I'm yeah. like, you think anyone whose parents called them Piers <laughs> are considered to be, you know, masculine? Like, I don't know why we'd be listening to a middle-class, educated, centrist, right-leaning editor about what defines manhood. Hmm. Like, there's never been, there would never be an instance when someone was like, boy, and the way Piers looked at me, I need to get out of that room because you look pissed. And who knows what he would do next <laughs> other than write a strongly worded letter. So, <laughs> yeah, I just don't really see what, what but yeah, it's, I, I think you'll see a lot of strange U-turns taking place over the next mm. couple of months because of people that who have had the economy affected by it. And also remember, if there's no movement or any travel, then there's not really much immigration going on. So they no. don't have to find a new scapegoat as it is. No, that's a good point. You can't, you can't blame this on immigration either. What else no. do you want to get rid of, Adam? What else do you want to uh, see, see the end of? End of? Uh, people who eat tuna sandwiches on the train. Oh. <laughs> with you. Tuna. With, with tuna. Tuna generally. Tuna. Oh, you can't get you have just, cucumber. just tuna. Tuna sandwiches, the smell of tuna. Oh. Fish on public transport is not acceptable in any way. Yeah. Or in an office, any enclosed space. I remember somebody bought in like... You should ban them from meal deals in Tesco and stuff. Because you're not getting a meal deal and taking it fucking home, are you? That's, that, that, that's the BS in public. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tuna, tuna should come with a warning on the packet like cigarettes do. Just like, <laughs> this is what could happen to you. Do you know what? This is such a good point, Adam, because you know, like when you have like, when you buy like maybe spices or particular foods, there's like the, you have the chili chart for how hot something is. Like if you buy like a pot noodle mm. and you know, other crappy things that comedians eat on the road. But, um, there should be the same kind of thing for like odor. Yes. Like, on the side, right. Of food, it should be like, this is going to stink up at office. Eat fishes. So like, yeah. Fishes? Fish? Fish. 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 Mm. Fishes. Um, yeah. Five fish. And then, yeah, a tuna's a five fisher, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kedgeri. Somebody bought kedgeri into an office once, and that's okay. fish and eggs. It's oh, like... no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> one guy bought in kedgeri, and uh. he was like, you're not aware of this, Dane. You lack the sophistication to try these new dishes. I'm like, it's just fish and eggs, mate. <laughs> it's just, it stinks. Have you seen the video of Kane Brown getting heckled and absolutely burying the woman? Yes. Right. So we use a clip of that on our podcast as a soundbite on the soundboard. So just, I just want to use this clip (laughs) in response to what's it called? Kedgeri? Yes. Cha! Upset me! Nasty bitch! That <laughs> never been more appropriate. Yeah, shout out Kane Brown, man. <laughs> fucking joker. Nice. My goodness. That's how it goes out. Yeah, I I think they should definitely... St- and you know what we should start doing as well? I think, you know, that you now have, like... You know, you have things that can detect radiation. Mm. I think there should be a machine that detects odours, and if you exceed those five fish, like, you have to leave the train. Hmm. You have to leave the train yeah. or you got to leave the public place. you got a lockdown. And maybe you have to self-isolate yeah. for 14 days. I think this law needs to stay in place. And if you don't observe, and I think moving forward. Once have you got a cough? Have you got, have you got a fever? Do you have tuna breath? Well, then exactly. in the house for 14 days. I think there should be a way. I think there should be technology. We should be working on detection 
of bad odors. And mm. I think that like, even I think people that don't observe better hygiene following this crisis, like if people go back to like casually washing their hands, if they feel like it, yeah. like, those people need to be isolated. Then we need to, we need to actually isolate those people for 14 days and be like, no, well, you're not, we're not gonna, uh, you're not out, you're not allowed out until you get your shit together. And, uh, yeah, that's what I want to see go. Mm. Not that I'm happy for like the culling, as we discussed earlier, but I think people, like for example, they had to put a sign up in my apartment lift and be like, people need to stop dumping their rubbish outside of bins and put them in the bin because they're attracting rats. Mm. And I'm like, if you need to be told this, maybe you don't deserve a council house. See, Adam, <laughs> I could be right wing too sometimes. <laughs> like those shows, you know those shows you watch when it's like, this is Doris. Doris has 24 cats. And then the council go, Doris, you can't have 24 cats. <laughs> Last week you had 20 and she goes, I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Doris shouldn't have a house, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, t- I tell you who else can, can fuck off after this apocalypse is the uh, the 5G masked conspiracy theorists who think that the whole coronavirus has started because of the 5G uh, thing. I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet, Howard. I'm not ready to execute those people <laughs> until I've researched all the facts. And until you research the facts, all right, you just remember conspiracy theorists as a term was first coined for people that wanted to investigate the JFK murder. And that was obviously something that should be investigated. However, the coronavirus origins can scientifically be proved and traced back to not fucking 5G masts. That's what they want you to think, Harold. Exactly. <laughs> Can I just say, <laughs> you're just a sheep, you fucking sheep. Keep brushing your teeth with that floor like toothpaste, you, you lunatic man. Yeah, can I just they say got you where they want you, boy? They exactly. got you. They got you, Howard. <laughs> They're gonna take away the guns, Howard. Is that what you want? <laughs> Do you know what? If I didn't know either of you, you both could be American conspiracy theory enthusiasts. You both have <laughs> take that away look. guns. <laughs> can I just say the first time I heard about five G was way before the coronavirus, and the first place I heard about it causing effects to people on a genetic level was actually in Newcastle, Adam. I mean. I'm just saying. I plead the fifth. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, very good. I'm just saying, where Biker Grove was a very successful teen soap, Ant and Deck are the only ones that went on to have success, or an, and then this other one lady. But um, what about the rest of the cast? Well, it's not a conspiracy theory, is it, mate? It's just they weren't as good as Dan and Deck. You need to watch what the fuck you say. Did you, did you not see Jeff? <laughs> Lodi, I cannot see, man. That was some Oscar shit right there. Mm. And then again, do you do the I cannot see, man. <laughs> Can I just say, I can't nail the accent, Adam, because I'm also trying to convey the agony of having paintball paint in my eyes. <laughs> so that's... Uh, but it's important that we can laugh at that event now because, my goodness, that made for a very solemn news round. <laughs> it was. Oh, guys. oh, it was big news. It was big news. Mean, man, you can't be doing an accent like that. <laughs> you know what? i got to say, like, the Geordie accent is a very seductive accent. If you've ever heard Matt Reed say photocopier, he makes... Photocopier? Yeah, mate, he makes... He makes my nature rise. <laughs> that was a really good question, though. I enjoyed that question. That's... um. That's 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 all the time we've got for the questions, isn't it? Dave? Also, that question also proved that even though in the first question we were kind of adverse to wholesale genocide, mm. look what it could be a genocide. We were all right with. So, Adam, yeah. we were right in the end. We just need a little bit of discussion to arrive at the, at the thing, and that's what our politicians need to do as well. So, uh, thank you so much, Adam. Before we wrap up, 
uh, again, um, please uh, let the audience know where they can find you, um, if not on the Rose Smashing Tour. Okay, so um, what I'd like people to do is just go and listen to me podcast. So the podcast is called Have a Word with Adam Rowe and Dan Nightingale. My name is Adam Rowe. If you're really going to want to go and find me, all of my accounts are verified on every social media platform um, and there's loads of clips on YouTube. But the one thing I want to drive people towards is the podcast at the minute. We're doing an episode every single day during the showdown. Um, apart from Sundays, we take Sundays off because that is the Lord's Day. Um, but yeah, have a word with Adam so Rowe and Dan. So, li- so Liverpool. <laughs> Are you fucking... That's a Sabbath, mate! Do you know Nice one. It's... Uh, we, it's just like... It's not as in-depth as this. It's just high-volume bullshit for over an hour every day you'll love it if you, if you like a laugh you'll like it well if you, if it's high volume bullshit then this is consider this podcast a polished turd my good man and, uh, <laughs> a guilted turd and thank you so much for coming and also for those of you who don't know Adam please do check out we both worked on an amazing sketch uh, called Camp Deadwood which is available on my IGTV oh, and yeah. also available on ITV On Demand where uh, Adam made his uh, acting debut on ITV too yeah but, you uh, made me poo in the woods didn't you you made me poo <laughs> many times with a lot of tape <laughs> and the thing is, not based on a true story, Adam. I was, you know, to see your butt. Oh, really? And I'm a yeah. method as well. So, I know. so you know, before you were just supposed to throw up, and I was like, nah, I want some more from Adam. <laughs> <laughs> nice so, one, Adam. Man. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. Thanks for having man. Thank you so much, man. And uh, yeah, hopefully you get into those shops, mate. Um, God, Godspeed and Goddess Speed. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. Hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him at DaneBaptweets. Our guest was Adam Rowe. You can follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Rowe Comedy or on Instagram at Adam Rowe Comedian. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at the Howard Cohen. Thanks to Polly and Gelly. Hey, if you like what you've been listening to, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Thanks for listening. And remember... Question everything. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.